If you have your Bible, you can open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible and you would like one, there's some on the back table that we would like to give to you as a gift. Even if you have lots of Bibles at home, we'd like to give that one to you. Even if you don't have an, uh, an ESV Bible, that would like to give that one to you as well. So they're back there. Feel free to uh, jump up and grab one on that, the welcome table back there. Um, so a week ago yesterday, so th- two Saturdays ago, uh, my son had a, another football game in Kirkwood, and the coach likes to get them there two hours before to kind of walk through some stuff, and they're nine years old, so they forget real easy, so they want to remind them again a couple hours before the game, and so drop Cooper off, and they're kind of doing their thing, warming up, whatever, and so I'm just sitting under a tree, and uh, I knew I was going to be preaching this message this week uh, in eight days from that day, and so I just kind of read through those things and, and began thinking and got overwhelmed my heart with this sense of uh, why, why we're here and asking myself that question, and, and I asked myself that question, and I wrote a lot, and, and most of the time I just sat and, and thought, um, and he overwhelmed me with Ecclesiastes 4, 6, and we'll get to that verse kind of towards the end this morning, uh, but the, the peace that God has for you as we wrestle with these questions of why, the question of why, if we, if we can't come to the grips with it, a lot of times can leave us with a lack of peace because we don't understand why. And this morning, what we're going to read in Ecclesiastes, there's no, like at the end of it, you're not going to walk out of here going, okay, that's why I'm here. Really, what, what this message does this morning is, is provoke the question why and then give you a little glimpse into what God intends for us. And it's, it's really centered around peace and that morning as I sat there under that tree while my son practiced football around the corner, uh, it's, it's that peace that kind of overcame me. And I sat there and I prayed for this, these moments that God would, would allow Ecclesiastes to speak to us, to give us this sort of exhaling peace. And, and that's, that's what I've been praying this week for us, that we would ask why, why we're here And that God would answer that with peace. So, um, if you're with me, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And you'll notice this, usually, typically we have stuff up on the screen. We have the title slide for the series this morning, Perspective, Why Am I Here, What's Going On, what's, What's Happening, Finding Meaning in Life on Earth is the tagline we've given this in There'll be verses up there or a quote or like main points that Dave and I will make. This morning we're not going to have any of that. It's just, it's just you and I in a Bible, all right? So I don't want your, our attention to be distracted by anything. I want to just change that perspective about what's going on because I believe that that's what this, ultimately what this chunk of a chapter and a half is, is talking to us is the world can distract us with why we're here. We can think work or just having a good time or whatever it is that distracts us. But this morning, no quotes, no points, just us and, and God's word. Uh, so let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. 
God, I, I thank you for that hour and a half under that tree in Kirkwood where you met me with peace, Father. And I pray now this morning that as we gather around the words of your servant Solomon <clears throat> this morning that we would we would know your peace, Father. God, we don't come before you with anything other than a desire to know you and know your peace, God. Father, I pray that you would uh, encourage us, cause us, give us questions of you, questions of ourselves, and we'd be honest with you and with ourselves if those questions come up, Father. God, I just pray that you would guide us as we navigate your word, illuminate our minds, illuminate your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16, and uh, buckle in because we're going to go fast. We have a chapter and a half to get through this morning. Um, looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. He's establishing here in this first verse as he kind of leads off into this, this idea, this, this concept, that there is evil around us. In, when, where there's justice in this world, there's evil. Where there's righteousness in this world, there's evil. No matter what justice or what righteousness we think we bring to this world or, or justice or righteousness that's present in this world, there's evil. There's wickedness. And this is, if you've been with us, you know that there's just darkness all over Solomon's words. And, and in these words, there's, there's real and hard darkness and discouragement. Right? I think there's a, a, a longing inside of us for justice. Right? There's a longing inside of us for righteousness. But behind it is evil. Even in the place of justice, there was righteousness. In the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. I said in my heart, verse 17, that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man. Looking at people. God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Let me read that again, because this is, I was talking to Jeff earlier, this is, Ecclesiastes is hard for two reasons. One, it's hard because it's dark, and just, if we're not careful, it can leave us just shoulder slumped and sighing, and like, that sucks. But it's also hard that it's hard to, hard to understand. What, what in the world is he talking about? So let's, this verse is, is crucial to, one, the darkness that he's painted, and, and two, to really understand where he's going. Verse 18, I said in my heart, this is Solomon, the wisest man to live, <clears throat> with regard to the children of man, that's the people that inhabit this earth, that God is testing them, God is testing you and I, 
the evil that's present in the justice, the evil that's present in the righteousness, the, the darkness that's present in our world <clears throat> is a tool in the hands of God testing us so that we can see that we're just beasts. That's dark, you know? For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over beasts, for all is vanity. That word vanity, we've talked about it, it's just meaningless. Meaninglessness. It's everywhere. You know, I've, I had a dog when I was little. I had a dog when I was in high school. I had a dog when I had a family. All of them are buried. Maybe you guys have buried a family pet or something. But look at, let's, in light of that notion, let's read this verse again. But before we do, I want to parenthetically kind of insert this, is that there's, <clears throat> I want to give you the right, the, the authority, the privilege, the whatever, to just question this stuff. Because it kind of, in my mind, seems to be in conflict with what we know and what we experience and what we feel. But this is, I've, I've said in, in, the, in the opening, in, in the call to worship, and I said as we were talking that I think that this is a, a big use of this message this morning is to provoke this question, why? What's the purpose? What's the thought? And, and to bring you to a place to think deeply about the things of God, to question God. Do you realize that God is big enough for you to question him? Verse 19 again, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All is meaningless. All go to one place. All are from dust and to dust all return. So sitting there under that tree, I, I read this verse and I thought about it. And I, I wonder if we, how much of our lives we spend thinking about this fact. All our dust. One day, Easton is going to be 75 years old. Mike and Rachel will be gone. Being a grave. We're all going there. It's darkness. And this is part of the darkness of of Solomon, and, and this has provoked times of solitude in my heart to stop and wonder, why? What? God, why? <clears throat> and again, I don't have some, it's not like in 20 minutes I'm going to come up with the here's why. Just asking questions. Verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man, this is, this is what's really interesting because this seems to, Solomon here, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, seems to be questioning whether or not he's going to die and go to heaven. And who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. 
I don't know. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? There's no big, great end of this message where we say, we, sh- we show you. This doesn't exist. I have a friend named Jason who I used to play basketball with when I was in college and a few years after college. Um, you ever have one of those friends you don't spend much time with, but they just kinda, you just kind of connect and there's a deeper level there? Uh, before the last year, I haven't really had much of a conversation other than basketball with Jason. Uh, I got an email about a year ago from Jason that said, uh, big mass email to a bunch of friends and family, said, I have cancer. It's like in his, his jaw and sort of down into his neck, kind of right in there. I, I, don't, I don't know the, the ins and outs medically of what that means or whatever, but there was... He had to go and have a, a chunk of this portion of his body removed. And uh, they got it all. It was real simple. I think he had like three chemo treatments, and everything was great. Wonderful. No problems. And uh, his hair grew back. He was exercising again. He was living a normal life. Then about three or four months ago, we got another email from him. It said, it's back, and it's really bad. And he said, I don't want to bring you the details of how long, but it's not good, and uh, pray for me. Jason is a Christian. Uh, Jason is a little left, a little more liberal in his theology, progressive in his theology than I am, Uh, and so we've kind of wrestled through some of those things about, you know, where is God in the midst of this, and, you know, what does Scripture have to say, and he kind of challenges the full authority of Scripture, and uh, that it's a, a, a man-made object, not a God-inspired object in his mind. And so uh, it's been really good to kind of wrestle through some of those things with a really intelligent guy who is looking at death. But I asked Jason, um, after that day in the, under the tree in Kirkwood, I asked Jason if uh, looking at what looks to be the end of his life soon, a finite number of months left to live, what would he reprioritize? What would he change? And what he said to me was, I would spend more time doing the things that I'm passionate about, doing the things that I think God has placed inside of me to give back, to build, he uses this word, to build his kingdom here, and doing the things that I'm more passionate about. He's got a really good job where he gets to stay at home, but he's basically a, a smart, really a, a smart computer guy. Works for IBM, and he said that it, it's work that's important, but it doesn't give me any passion. And if I could go back, I would do something different, do something that I'm passionate about. I would write about Christian theology. I would spend more time with my family. I would spend more time building relationship with friends. Those are the things that he said he would do and what he plans to do with the rest of his life, whether that's six months or, who knows, miracle, many, many years. But Jason's asking these questions why, which has me asking all these questions why. Why are we here? And so 
I think a homework assignment that I'd like to give to you guys is to, to take what God is speaking to you here and, and maybe even go sit under a tree with Ecclesiastes and ask God why. And stop. And think to yourself. Ask yourself the question I asked Jason. If you had a finite number of months to live, what would you prioritize? And what would you deprioritize? I think that's the value of what Solomon is pushing us towards. What God is pushing us towards. And that's the point of this. To change our perspective. Two times already in the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes, first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has said, what a pity it is. What the son of man is, what the, the sons of man are busy with. What a pity it is what we busy ourselves with. Go sit under a tree this week and stop and think, what am I busy my life with? And what's the point of what I busy my life with? What's your job? What's your family? What gives you stress? What worries you? Used to be for me, if this would stress me, this would worry me. We got like half of our church gone. What if a visitor shows up and we see that there's only 15 people here? They used to, seriously, I would panic. I'd be sitting back there handing out bulletins or at the hexagon, for those who've been here for a while, Passing out bulletins, worried, stressed. What are you going to think about what this is? I don't know. Don't really care anymore. <clears throat> and I don't really care anymore. That I, I, I see where, you know, a couple of chuckles come from saying that. But ultimately... God has placed in you a desire to, to pursue him and to seek him, to pursue his kingdom here on this earth and to, to pursue relationships. And, and aside from that, what, who cares? What are you busy your life with? What stresses you? I think the end of this in Ecclesiastes, the end of the message at least today, is to, is to exhale and let it go and say, God, I give you full authority to change my perspective. Flip into chapter 4. Still got a lot to get to. More darkness. This is real darkness. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. I don't think oppression is... A strong enough word. I'd like to put more consonants in it to make it sound more tough. Because oppressions is a difficult word. Think about oppression in this world. I think about child sex slave traffic when I think of this word. That's what jumps into my mind. In third world countries, 12-year-olds are stolen from their families so they can bring in, they can become prostitutes so that old fat men can get rich. That's what I think of when I hear oppressions. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears 
of the oppressed. And I see that little girl who had no one to comfort her. Behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Darkness. But then look at what Solomon does. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Do you see that we're, it's very easily the, the, the bend of our hearts, the bend of the brokenness and the oppression and the difficulty and the hardship of this world pushes us to be alone. Verse 2, and I thought the dead who are already dead were more fortunate than the living who are still alive. It's better to be dead than alive. And as Solomon writes this, I wonder if there's a knife next to him that he thought about using. But better, verse 3, but better than both the living and the dead is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And I hope Solomon had a good therapist. Sorry, I need to bring a little levity to darkness here. Verse 4. Then I saw all that toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity, a striving after the wind. Do you see what he just said there? Everything that we do and all the skill that we have and all the work that we do comes from envy. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Verse 6, this is it. This is, this is where I want to land, where I, what I want to be a part of, 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 what, of our, what I want to, to leave here with. In other words, memorize this verse, meditate on this verse, take this verse under your tree. Verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil, a striving after the wind. I'm going to take you back to that question. What brings you stress? What is hard? What is difficult? What is your two hands full of toil? Better is a handful of quietness. This word quietness is the Hebrew word that is, means a quiet attitude of soul. A quiet attitude of soul. Think about me sitting under that tree, asking why, watching my son smile and play, praying for my wife. And a few days later, I would be with my wife and daughter in the hospital. It turned out to be no big deal, but I didn't know that. 
God administered to my soul this quiet peace. I think God is bringing all these difficult hardship situations into our lives. To, to show us, to say to us, I'm enough. Find your peace in me. In fact, he, he's already said it. Verse 3, or in chapter 3. For what happens to the children of men happens to the beast of the same. All go to the same place. And he's doing all of this to bring us, to make us understand who he is. He's causing all these why questions in us. Do you see, I gave you permission to ask why of God, to, to challenge him, to wonder what's going on. Why are we here? Why is this hardship happening? God is big enough so that he's, he's causing those things to happen. He's causing doubt and dissension even in your heart towards him. So that when you really ask the hard question, when you really ask why, God, what is the point of this? My friend has cancer. I can't imagine the why questions he's asking himself. As he has two daughters and a wife. Can't imagine the questions that his daughters are asking, the whys they're asking. But God shows up and fills that hand, filled with peace, the quiet attitude of rest. He fills that. Ask him why. Test him. See if I'm lying. But here in our world, we are busy with what's coming next. Do I have enough money to pay my mortgage? What are the visitors going to think when they walk in this place and see 12 people here? Or whatever gives us stress. We fill our hands with that busyness and we're so freaked out, concerned with it. There is a holy God who created this universe, spoken into being, could have made physics be any way he wanted it to be. But this is what he chose, and this is what he gave us. What are we consumed with? Our two hands full of toil and meaninglessness? Or the one hand filled with peace? The quiet attitude of rest? I've prayed that everyone in this room that hears this message will go find a tree and sit in a park and ponder peace. And that God would minister it to their souls. <clears throat> okay, here's the good news. You want some good news? Thanks, Mike, for the nod. The darkness is gone here. Well... It's almost gone. Verse 7 and 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. And he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity, an unhappy business. Go back to verse, the first part of verse 8. He's alone. He's got nobody. Go back to the oppressors who are alone. 
Go back to the oppressed who are alone. It's all vanity. Meaningless. Because God intends... Well, let's just read verse 9. The first five words there. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. God intends for you to be in relationships. God intends for you to not be alone. The leaning of our sin-filled heart is to go and be alone, but God does not intend for that. Two are better than one because, several reasons, they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Two are better than one because if you fall down, somebody's going to pick you up. Very simple. But woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, he has not another to lift him up. He doesn't have someone to get in his face and pick him up. He doesn't have someone to brush him off. He doesn't have someone to dust him off. He doesn't have someone to, to preach to his heart. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You ever been just really cold? I hate it. You ever just been really cold of soul? That's really bad. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So how does God intend for us to be in relationships? I think one, he brings this family to be in relationship with, to not be alone with. But wait a minute, Rick. There are dads everywhere that abuse their children. God intended us for me to, lo- to not be alone and to give us family, keep us from being alone. What's, what's the deal there? Wait a minute. My dad took off. I haven't seen him in 20 years. I think God intends us to be in relationship inside a church. I think one of the beauties of, that God has placed in us is that we have intimate relationship with each other. But wait a minute. That dude really gets on my nerves. But wait a minute. When I was a kid, I saw a pastor have an affair with his secretary. Tear up a church. Wait a minute. This is my story from my wife. My wife got pregnant junior in high school. Her pastor never looked at her again, never spoke to her again. What about that? I thought this was God's design for us to not be alone. Yeah, the family is designed for us to not be alone, to to nurture. A a father nurtures his child. A a mother nurtures her child. A, A husband and wife connect with one another, become one flesh, as it says in 
Genesis and Ephesians. God intends for those things to be perfect. Brothers, sisters, to be perfect. God intends for this church, this church, or his church. God intends for those things to minister to your needs and for you to minister to needs, to needs within that church. But you know what? There's sin and there's brokenness. I wrong you. I fail you. You fail me. I wrong my kids as a dad. I wrong my wife as a husband. And they wrong me as their father and as their husband. And I wrong you as your pastor and you wrong me as people that go to this church. It's everywhere. There's sin and it's, it leaves us broken. But then there's Jesus. Please forgive the cheese of that. Then there's Jesus. When darkness is everywhere, there's Jesus. When I just don't like the people God has given me to live life with, and I feel alone, there's Jesus. There is peace. Quiet attitude of rest for the soul. One of the last things Jesus spoke on this earth. He's already died, he's already resurrected, and he appears to his disciples, and he says to them, the Great Commission, you all know it, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. But then he says, behold. In other words, pay attention. Listen to this. I'm with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. We live in a world filled with oppressing and oppressors and evil and darkness and difficulty. And people who were designed to be in relationship with us and nurture us. And people we were designed to be in relationship with and nurture. And we break that and they break that. And it's all just broken. Here, Jesus, behold, pay attention, I'm with you. Breathe in deep the peace that comes there. So go, sit under a tree and ask why. And then listen to Jesus say, I'm with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. I thank you for your words. Behold, I'm with you. God, I pray that you would minister peace to our hearts and to our lives. Better is one handful of rest than two hands full of toil. God, I pray this week, this month, this life, 
that you would center our minds and our hearts not around the two handful of toil, but around the one handful of rest. The quiet attitude of peace. Thank you for Jesus who brings that to us. It's in his perfect name. Amen.